This is Pride and Prejudice from The Economist Group, our look at some of the hot topics around the business case for LGBT inclusion. I'm Matthew Bishop, and I'm talking today with Belinda Palmer, OBE, who's CEO of The Empathy Business, a consultancy that advises firms on how to transform themselves by creating cultures of empathy. We're going to be talking about the diversity crisis that is going on at the moment. Many companies that have tried to embrace diversity and inclusion are running into the sand a bit. Why is that happening? What does that mean for efforts to get more progress on that front, particularly for LGBT people, but across the the whole frontier of groups that have been excluded and trying to be included? And how does empathy rather than diversity provide potentially a better way forward uh, as we try and solve some of these problems? So, Belinda, um, you know, the, the con- thank you for doing this. And the context of this discussion is, is The Economist's um, big push uh, across the company around the business case for inclusivity and in particular for LGBT inclusivity. Um, and I wanted to start by your sense that there is a diversity crisis going on there have been lots of articles about it you know that maybe there's diversity fatigue why do you think that's happening what's the evidence that it's happening hello matthew great great to be on the podcast this week and um, i do believe there is a diversity crisis um, and i came to that conclusion that often diversity divides whereas empathy can unite us and i think the data supports that and also my own personal journey I used to run a company called Lady Geek, um, and it was gender-focused. Um, and what, what happened when I talk about gender... What did they, tell us what that company did. Okay. So Lady Geek um, was, it did two things. It was getting more women into technology as employees, and it was also trying to avoid the whole pink it and shrink it and people patronising women, trying to sell them technology, but patronising them at the same time. So that was the purpose of the company, But what I realized, after working a couple of years, I realized two things. The first thing was a lot of what we were doing was benefiting men too. So whether that was internal training or whether that was looking at external communications, what we realized was that men benefit from a more inclusive approach. But the second thing, and I guess the more revealing thing, which is why I've come to the conclusion that diversity divides us or can divide us, is that when you talk about, when I used to talk about gender, so half the, most of the men in the room would shut up because they didn't want to say the wrong thing and they were afraid of saying the wrong thing. And half the women in the organization didn't want to associate themselves with a female-led program because they didn't want to associate themselves with the minority status. So actually, what I realized was that it didn't have enough impact And the same with diversity programs. I mean, Google has spent 2.65 million on their data-driven diversity program. And in two years, they've not increased the number of African-Americans at all. And they've increased the number of women in technical positions by just 1%. So I do think these are dark times for diversity. And what other evidence is there of, of of a problem in that sense? Well, I think the data, there's a study from the University of California which took 829 companies over a period of 31 years. And it came to the conclusion, it had 16,000 data points, and each data point being a workplace in a particular uh, year. And the conclusion 
was that actually, number one, none of these programs have accomplished much, much. But the second point is it does elicit this backlash, particularly amongst white men. And, you know, corporate power is often mis misunderstood as a, a zero-sum game. So what's happening there, people think if you give power to someone else, then you lose your power yourself. And that is my problem with diversity, is its weaknesses, it emphasizes the other. And this is the Donald Trump message writ large, really, isn't it? That, you know, if I win, you lose, you lose, I win, basically. That's, that's the, that, it's a zero-sum game. And, you know, I guess, do you feel, do you feel that that's, been true for um, all, so, so, so as we've seen different groups push for inclusion, whether it be women or you know, African Americans or you know, LGBT people, you know, th th that it has tended to, to go down this path of setting one group against another, not just the traditional white male um, you know, in many of these cases, but also are you seeing battling between the different um, pro-diversity groups? Because it focuses the self versus the other. Um, and this whole thing of power, and, and power is really important here, it, and empowerment is that it's restricted to one group. And if you are that group that has the power, the question is, why would you give it away? But when you ask a slightly different question, so instead of saying, you know, how do we be more diverse as a company, or how do we, you start going down the quota route, you start getting into all these power um, power struggles. But when you ask a slightly different question, which is how can we be more empathic as a company, suddenly everything is broader. You start looking at, okay, the environment that we're in. You start looking at the style of meetings that we have and who speaks, who doesn't speak. You start looking at styles of communication. You look at the way you handle complaints. But not only is it, is, is it takes you out of the power, the self versus other, but it also broadens the debate to every aspect of the business. And one of my big problems with diversity is it's often restricted to a diversity officer. So um, Twitter's uh, head of diversity resigned, um, has just resigned recently, and Google's diversity chief, Nancy Lee, she stepped down at the end of last year. And, and the problem with these roles is that it becomes their responsibility. When you think about empathy, it's everyone's responsibility. And until you can make diversity core business and everyone accountable, I believe it's days are numbered. So does this spell out to me a bit uh, of what an empathy strategy looks like compared with a diversity strategy? If you take a company and say, I want to, be, I want to, do, I want to address these challenges by being more empathic. Well, I've just done four months empathy in residence at one of Europe's biggest banks. Um, and what we started looking at was everything in terms of the, and, and these are tiny things, what I call micro-empathy nudges, but everything from the posters on the wall to the text message we send customers, um, right through to the language. So, for example, one of the things that we found that was unempathic was there was a division between two groups of the organization, so head office which, um, and, and front line, so the branches. So empathy was being eroded between these two parts of the business, which was causing a lot of friction and conflict. Now, even the word head office, you think about the language and how could you, it's quite unempathic. So head, if I go to the headmaster's office, there's, we all know what that feels like. There's a superiority there. 
front line, for example, is a military term. It means first line defence. So what we did was change the language from head office to support hub and front line to front of house. What that meant was actually there was the people we were reinforcing the the role of each of those areas of the business and head office was there to support the front line. So you can look at everything. It broadens out the debate. And um, for an automotive client, another micro nudge we did, again it sounds so tiny. One of the things we found, particularly with women, was that women felt quite uncomfortable in a car dealership and the male car dealers were wearing a tie. Now a tie says, I'm going to sell you something. And just the simple act of putting the staff in a different uniform, so in J Crew in a in a J Crew outfit without a tie, gave female customers much more reassurance. So I guess the point is, one, nothing is too insignificant. The aggregation of all these micro nudges adds up to a change in company behaviour. And number two is when you think about empathy, you start looking at everything. From the tie to the language, whereas when you think about diversity, you suddenly get into this very narrow thing of actually have we got representations here from different groups. And is there evidence that if you do embrace an empathy agenda as opposed to a diversity agenda, you actually achieve a more diverse company? I mean, I guess that will be the, the bottom line question for anyone who's an LGBT activist or a, a, a female rights activist. So you want to know that, okay, I'm, I'm, let's get out of this confrontational language into a more empathetic language, but is it actually going to advance justice? And I think that question um, is something we are tracking. We don't know the correlation of more empathic companies to more diverse companies at this point. We do have a a global empathy index, and we know that the top 10 companies in the index outperform on pretty much every measure when you look at market capitalization, productivity per employee, than the bottom 10. So we do know that higher empathy companies deliver more to the shareholders. So who are the the top 10 in in your index? Well, a lot of them, ironically, are Silicon Valley companies. Mm. So what they've done really well, one of our metrics is um, internal culture. So we use um, Glassdoor reviews as one of our inputs. And the Silicon Valley companies, they do have great cultures in many instances. So there is a paradox there. And I think what we're seeing is where they really need to dip, so to be diverse is in the technology. So what we are seeing now is, you know, the promise of technology was that it was going to democratize the democratization, but actually what we've seen is it our biases and our lack of empathy are in the algorithms. So to give you an example, when HP bought out their facial recognition software, it didn't recognize black faces. Up until recently, if you um, Google images of CEOs, the first you see lots of pictures of men, and then the first female you see is CEO Barbie. So I think where the issue is is not just in the people running the organisation, but I mean that is an issue, but also in the technology itself and how technology is representing our bias. And I think that's really where the future needs to to, to really focus on. So just to, to wrap up, I mean. If if you were um, you know being called in by you know a, a, let's say a company that is trying to that's, had, that's trying to sort of make a more inclusive workforce that's got a diversity program let's say it's Twitter they've 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 lost their diversity officer what would you what would your advice be 
to them as they think about the challenges they face? Well, the first thing I would say is you can't manage something if you don't measure it. You have to put the measurement in place. And often it's not really the obvious thing. So companies will always trot out their employment engagement surveys where they ask the blandest of questions in the blandest of ways. Things like, oh, how proud are you to work for this company? Um, and actually, a lot of those studies, you know, one, one bank we were working with, they had 90 questions on their employment engagement survey. Now, by the 89th question, I think I'd say anything just to finish it. So the first thing is, don't look at your current way of measurement just because you've always done that. And what's really interesting is the hidden indicators of empathy. So an example of that is the number of blind copies, so BCC. The proportion of BCC emails per employee, if you have a high proportion of BCC emails, you get, you often find a culture of disempowerment and covering your own back in individualism. That is a far more, that is a far better indicator in your employment engagement survey. Another great example is company politics. How much time, one of the questions we ask is, how much time do you think you spend on company politics? And we're talking about massaging egos here. You would not believe the amount of time spent on company politics. And um, even things like junior people versus um, senior people, who's, who's speaking in meetings. So the very first thing, Matthew, is Firstly, is to measure empathy and measure it using the data you've already got. And these hidden factors will give you a much better barometer of a company's empathy levels. And your bet is that you will show over time that a more empathic company will have better scores on the diversity measures, is it? I'm confident because I feel that empathy is everybody's problem, or everyone's opportunity to solve. And, and I, I've come to that journey from trying to do the diversity thing and it's failing, you know, and it's just been so slow. And um, I feel that empathy, looking at through the empathy lens, accelerates and it accelerates it for everyone because ultimately, um, you know, my vision is to increase humanity for everyone, not just individual groups. Thank you, Belinda Palmer. I'm Matthew Bishop. This is the Pride and Prejudice podcast from The Economist Group. I've been talking with Belinda Palmer, OBE, CEO of The Empathy Business.